When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 307 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm joined again by Joe McGoy, Koisten Schuch from Barca Universal, Total Football Analysis, and Johans Rondos, and he's here to break down the Villarreal win, plus answer some tough questions about Xavi's Barcelona. Are you ready to go, Joe McGoy? Yeah, sure, let's do this. All right, well, as much as I say, let's get started. Actually, I want to say before we get started talking about FC Barcelona, who do celebrate their birthday today, it's... <laughs> From 1899 all the way to today. So, you know, I mean, for those longtime listeners, you know, I'm all about the history. You know, I'm all about the yada, yada, yada. I, you know, maybe I'll do something about that later. But yeah, for now, happy birthday to the club. And I also want to get the Ballon d'Or stuff out of the way quickly. It's the whole mm. buzz while we record this. So it feels yeah, like yeah. our whole world, right? But it'll be out of the news cycle by Thursday show. It'll be out of the news cycle by tomorrow, mm. right? Uh, 10, yeah. 12 hours, whenever you're listening to this. So the, that decision only deserves the conversation on social media, I think. but. Obviously, the winner has been announced by the time you're hearing this. So I just want to give my two cents real quick. If Alexi Pateas doesn't win the Ballon d'Or, it just means that the <laughs> voters... I'm, I'm, wait, wait. But I, I'm just, it just means the voters don't watch enough women's football. That's, that's all it tells me if, if she doesn't win. And that would be less surprising, I think, to me than the voters choosing Lewandowski over Messi because of the narrative and because they felt like mm-hmm. Lewandowski missed out on 2020s win. So Alexia and Messi, leagues better than all others in the last 12 months. What about you, Domogoy? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, with Messi, as you said, it's all about the narrative, the PR stunts. It's just, it's not really 
credible as much, but you know, it should be messy. And but Alexia, I agree 100%. It just, I don't watch Femini regularly. I'm not no expert, just to, to be honest here, but this is 100%, 100% deserved uh, victory for her if she does win, which she should win. So, yeah, she's a key cog in a Barcelona team that is well and truly a machine. They just brush off their opponents like it's nothing. And she is the one to make all that happen. So, even if they do get stuck, which they don't often. She'd be the one creating something out of nothing. Uh, so I, I definitely agree. She should be the one winning it. Yeah, the only thing I would also hold against her would be that, you know, a lot of this can be driven by English media and English bias. I mean, of course, yeah. Gino still around. And so Alexia might also be punished for playing in the Spanish league, which is not mm. obviously as competitive as mm. Arsenal and Man City and Chelsea and yeah. uh, in the WSL. So Anyway, uh, yeah, hopefully Alexia and Messi have won it by the time you're hearing it. If they haven't, well, then I've got a little bit of problem with it, but we move on. <laughs> Alexia can just win it next year, I guess, and, and, and start to collect them like, like, like the goat that she has. So, yeah, so that's the Ballon d'Or stuff. Well, it feels like ancient history, though. Barcelona did beat Villarreal 3-1 on Saturday. That's mainly what here yeah. we're going to talk about. So, you know, my when I did the match review for YouTube a few days ago, my first yeah. point, and I think where I want to start with the broad picture, though, McGoy, is that hmm. they did play the full 90 minutes. And I know we're going to talk about the tactics, the first issues, if you will, under Xavi, all that stuff. Yeah. But even if they didn't deserve the result, they won hmm. and they collected the three points. And it was a match that, again, even Xavi said Villarreal didn't deserve to lose. And yeah. I think that kind of sums up the result. But a 3-1 victory for Barcelona, it was the first time in a long time when the equalizing goal happened and I didn't feel like it was going to be a draw. And that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing, especially when you talk about Villarreal, who are kind of the, the experts of drawing games uh, lately. And yeah, you said it perfectly. I mean, Villarreal are a good team. It was always going to be a tough match. Uh, and you know, sometimes you just have to be able to get wins like those. I mean, it was not convincing to be honest. The first 20 minutes were pretty, pretty good. I, I thought that we were really good in the first 20 minutes. We kind of controlled the game. We kind of ma- managed to set up the tempo and control it well. And then it sort of fell apart, uh, which is a big issue. It has been a big issue for, for years now. Barca haven't been able to kind of maintain dominance even if they did manage to kind of dominate or control games for for certain periods of time so it will be something for Xavi definitely to look into but yeah difficult game and I'm happy for the three points not so happy about the performance but yeah sometimes you just you just have to take those three points and just run away with it yeah I think Villarreal in this instance does deserve a little bit of respect I mean they've just been embarrassed by Manchester United they, uh, United mm. they were playing at home I, yeah, I, I think they're at a, a place, that being Villarreal, where they felt at home more desperate to win yeah. than Barcelona even should have. Because Barcelona, I think for the rest of this season, until they get up to top four, which, again, I want to do the math on this, they're not too far away from. So yeah. it, it's still fully possible. It's still just the end of November. And so every match of Barcelona, especially from a Kool-Aid perspective, is going to feel desperate. But for Villarreal, like, they're in the bottom of the half of the table. So it does feel a bit desperate. I think, I think, you know, Emery to his credit also got his tactics right about where he was trying to exploit Barcelona. And again, before we do the Javi tactics, that's, I think the main bulk of our show here. I do want to talk about easy Abde, arguably the man of the match against Espanol in the 45 minutes. He came on the 19 year old from Hercules, 17 appearances, two goals for them. Um, I Mm kind of mentioned it in passing before. I mean, I looked high and low for any other stories or any other pieces about his time at Hercules. And I don't think that, you know, the Spanish journalists have been so busy dealing with Xavi and so busy getting all the scoops um, around, let's say the, the big, big stories that his signing kind of went under the radar. He's a 200 million euro release clause. 
this is one of those late on signings. And I know he's 19, so he's a bit older than the likes of, I think, Pedro when he was signed from, from Las Palmas or no, for Tenerife, for Tenerife mm-hmm. when he was 17. Tenerife. Yeah. So that was like a late signing for Barca B or for the academy. But he was signed for Barca B, but the club always knew that he had the potential to reach the first team. It just happened that mm-hmm. it was a need and a desire for him so early. But he is adept with both feet and obviously very, very fast. And, you know, Easy Abde, people are already kind of saying, okay, well, there's insurance for Dembele. But, you know, I think the Ferran Torres rumor this week tells you that the insurance for Dembele is out there. That if Dembele does leave, that means that a, an actual, you know, we'll say top class right winger is going to yeah. be brought in. But in the meantime, Domagoy, what have you seen from Easy Abde? And before everybody kind of uh, overrates him and all the parody accounts pop up about him or, you know, not the parody accounts, whatever, the Stan accounts, right? Before they all pop yeah. up. Yeah, how do you feel about the youngster? Oh, I love him. I love him so much because he is the exactly the type of player that Xavi wants to have in his team. So one of the big things that Xavi definitely want to implement here is verticality because that's what Barca have missed for so long. And just the pace and trickery and one, one-on-one duels. And even Kuman was screaming about that. He was saying that he needs that kind of a player, but you know, Xavi now has him in Abde uh, and he would have him in Dembele as well if, if, if Dembele was fit, of course. But I think that Abde, uh, he is mature for his age, which is which is uncommon too. And just having that natural winger with pace, that trickery and just unpredictability, that's that's crucial for Barcelona because they're a team that, that, that doesn't have clear outlets, right? Apart from Jordi Alba, who is there? That there's no one else. And now suddenly you have someone on the right side to kind of revive the whole flank because the right side of Barcelona attack has been very lackluster. You know that we, we've seen, you know, the likes of Sergio Roberto play there as, as a right wing back or a, a right winger, even Dest, who is, I mean, Dest could be a decent winger, but he's not really a winger. So again, it's not really ideal, but Abde, man, I, I love him. I love him. And uh, he adds that necessary spark that Barca have needed. And hopefully he gets more game time. Yeah, I think he will get some game time still in the first team. I'm going to hedge my bet a little bit and not say that what he's done is exciting based on the expectations mm-hmm. we had for him, of course. which yeah. is being, again, I, I think it was 2 million euros in total, the signing from Hercules. For yeah, for, for Abde, I, I think that there's so much to work on and improve, and those things are actually workable, as we mm-hmm. say. So not even just a finishing product, because the header yeah. was the best chance in the first half that Barca had. So credit yeah. to him to get himself in the box, get himself free. He also, at 19, already has the broad shoulders of a man, something like Nico. They're, they're, they're already strong. They're already mm-hmm. 19 years old. They're already you know, kind of f- filled out into their adult bodies, if you will. And that's mm-hmm. only going to get, he's only going to get more comfortable in that body. Yeah. But yeah, as far as getting around his, his defender and then what happens next, that's going to be the biggest thing. It's the same thing with Elisha Comas as well. We saw him, his skill against, yes. uh, against Espanol. He warmed against Villarreal. That is now Elias had just a mercurial talent about him that he is mm-hmm. capable of some really, really wonderful things. There are just things mm-hmm. that need to be improved. Obviously, you know, you could do uh, amazing things for 98% of the field, but if you don't have that final ball, if you don't have an yeah. attack that's finished, well, then you're just a young player who's still working on those things. So for Abde, I mean, you saw how the game changed when Dembele came on. Yes, yeah. Villarreal was kind of worn down a little bit and Dembele was able to go right at him, but just how much more dangerous Dembele could be and how, and not only for Villarreal defensively, how Villarreal had to bring that second man a lot quicker. We're talking steps quicker to Dembele to slide over for those doubles than against Abde. Abde, they generally, that being Villarreal, 
kept him def- uh, kept him attacking 1v1 and defended him yeah. 1v1 as opposed to Dembele that always needs help. But yeah, but do you have yeah. anything more on Abde? Because we're going to, he kind of does fit into the first tactical yes, nuance we want to talk about. I mean, the thing with him against Villarreal specifically was that he was, he was forced very deep. That has to be mentioned. And that kind of impacted what he could do higher up the pitch because he needed to cover a lot more ground just because he had to cover for Eric Garcia, who had to uh, man Mark Moy Gomez. He was pulled away. So Abde had to go, go down the pitch. And that kind of impacted what he could do in attack as well. So, it, yes, I, I do get your point and I agree. Dembele is more of a, let's just put it, well-rounded player now compared to Abde because Abde is just a raw talent that mm-hmm. needs to needs to work a lot. But Dembele is also a similar thing. I think Dembele physically, like you know, his explosiveness and dribbling, that's all top-notch. He just needs to be, of course, he needs to be more fit. That's the first thing. And the other thing is Dembele needs to play more smartly, I guess. He needs to know how to time his runs, when to run, where to run, how to drag his markers. Sometimes he needs to run just for the sake of pulling away markers, not to expect to receive the ball. And he doesn't have those instincts just yet, I think. And that's the same thing with Abde and Ilyas, even you know, those young players, that young wingers, they need to know uh, when to move, how to move, not just being this pure physical talent that will kind of burst past his marker and do stuff, you know, just pure talent alone. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Puyol or Piquet and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you wanna grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, Demo laid a tough case because if he does renew at FC Barcelona at the age yeah. of 24, the young Lear is in no way what you could clarify him. It's going to be in no way what you clarify his salary. I mean, even his salary now shouldn't be clarified as young Lear at 24. But, you know, as I've said before on the show, he's missed so much time that in truth, he's actually about a 21 year old winger in terms of actually playing on the field because of missing I mean, so, 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 so many games. But speaking of young players, that's kind of what the theme of today's show is. And you've already brought up the first basically the first mistake. And I, I put huge air quotes on it for those who are watching the video. The first big mistake that Xavi was honest about with his tactics was having Eric Garcia, man, Mark Moyes, Gomez, and basically mm-hmm. play as more of a right back, even than a right center back. And then Abde would come back and defend deep when Villarreal would try to strong side their left mm-hmm. side attacking and Barcelona's right side defending. And Xavi has explained, though, that the idea is to have those wingers defend deeper. So that's mm-hmm. not the issue here. I think then when Barcelona retake the ball, they are given space on the wings to go 1v1 against their defenders. And as that happens, now here's the missing piece of the puzzle. As that mm-hmm. happens, the interiors need to be pushing up and making runs in behind, of yeah. which only Frankie de Young is doing regularly, at least against Espanyol and Villarreal and not against Benfica or a talented team that sat in a low block against Barca. And occasionally, Gabi is doing it, but he's doing it wide and around the back line as a left winger, as opposed to yeah. in those half spaces where Xavi wants his, his interiors to, to push into, you know, in this three, four, three lineup. But, you know, it would be great if, if Gabi was making that same run as the interior, but he's actually the left winger. So, yeah. I mean, pretty clear that we see the issue there, right? He's actually making the runs that I think Xavi's instructing him to make on that left wing playing as technically this attacking left winger. But instead, you know, if he made the same run in the half space as that, that left interior, you could see how, how dangerous Gabi could be. We can see, I mean, yeah. again, you plug Pedri in the same position and you see how dangerous Pedri can be. But what I do like is that Xavi did admit that he got some things wrong. And I like that. Yeah. I'm not trying, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to defend Eric Garcia, but of course, tons of people, including many, I respect again, after this match reiterated their belief that he's not at the level, but I do have to wonder what instructions he was given in that match because Eric Garcia keeps going from, oh, he looks fine. He looks like he should be the, you know, libero, the one who is pulling all the strings, is passing, is progressive passing when Barcelona are in possession. We're all cool with all those things. And then the minute he's put on this island like this, defending, then he winds up being the scapegoat for this. But I like this fact that Xavi was accountable to it and saying both both he and uh, Eric, that being, and Xavi in their press conferences said, there's a lot of instructions. There's a lot going on behind the scenes and we're trying to catch up as soon as we can. And I don't think, as I said, from Eric all the way up the field, it's all connected. So don't forget that. But because he's a defender, it all comes back on him. And of course, social media is going to say, hey, he's a 20-year-old center back, but his, he's limited physically. So he's never going to improve. This is what Eric Garcia is. And he's only Garrett 2.0. <laughs> this is what I keep saying. <laughs> um, well, I think 
generally, I don't dislike the idea. So this was more of a, not really a nominal 3-4-3 system. It was more of a asymmetrical 4-3-3 because when Alba tucks in and uh, drops deeper into the back line, that's when Eric Garcia pushes up into the midfield. So you, you get the back three, but you get it with a one fullback deep and one other fullback kind of asymmetrically, he goes uh, higher up the pitch. So, and that way you can ensure that the, uh, the numerical advantage in the first line with the three defenders against two wheelhouse, two forwards, and you get to overload the midfield when Eric Garcia pushes up. So again, in theory, I get what Xavi was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that this was this also impacted how Gavi moved, because as you said, Gavi would always move on the outside. And that's because when Alba would tuck in, there was no one else to provide the width on the left side. And you remember, Xavi wants to have both of his wingers wide, at least initially, and then Gavi would tuck in eventually when Alba overlaps. But if Alba is deep into the back line, then no one else can provide the width on the left side. And that's where Gavi comes in. He has to be the one who can stretch the pitch and stretch the back line and ensure that there's there's more space in the half spaces for Barca and Memphis to operate. So that's kind of the thing with Gavi. And with, uh, with Eric Garcia, yes, I do agree. He's kind of, he's excellent on the ball, but then physically and defensively in one-on-one duels, he's not as proficient. The way he operates is he's more of a early prevention kind of thing. So he will have to read the game much better and much faster than his opposition and then kind of intercept the ball before the danger is, you know, on a high alert. So I think that's how he operates. And how does Xavi kind of combat that? I don't know. He can either try and improve that aspect of his game or kind of try and cover with other profiles in the back line, with like Araujo, for example. Araujo would have to cover for Eric in those situations. And I guess that that is the only way that Eric is going to kind of succeed, I guess. I mean, I don't dislike him. I, I think he has a lot of potential. And I do, I will release a piece on him very soon because I find this all very, very um, interesting to, to kind of talk about. But at the moment, he's not exactly playing to the full of his potential, but he is a key cog in at Barcelona's backline because he is the only profile that's purely ball progression. When it comes to ball progression, no one can touch him, really. Araujo is not that good on the ball. He is decent, but not as good as Eric. And PK is kind of diminishing. And then you have Longley and Umtiti who are good on the ball, but at the same time, they're not really reliable. So I guess he is necessary, but at the same time, there's always a risk uh, with him. So it's it's a strange case. <laughs> well, I, and I think too that whether, because neither Araujo or Eric Garcia are left-footed, you understand right. why Xavi put Eric Garcia on the right side because as we keep saying that, they, I mean, this will probably not change when Ansu comes back either. I mean, it could when Ansu comes back and you actually have a real left winger starting on the mm-hmm. touchline and just attacking. But again, he's not this, yeah. this dribbling uh, no. left winger. So I would actually not be that surprised if in this system, Ansu plays in the middle and Memphis plays on the left and you let him dribble okay. a little bit more. But we'll have to see what happens there. That yeah. said, I understand why it was Langley against Benfica, as I said before, and then Araujo as the left center back starting against Villarreal. Well, it was actually PK as the left center back. And then Araujo in the middle playing basically, yeah. you know, snuff everything out. And that makes sense because, I mean, while PK can pass the ball, Eric is actually a better passer mm-hmm. or at least breaks lines a little bit more and is a bit more with his progressive yeah. passing uh, essential to the system of possession. And so I understand why you want to put your best center back passer on the side that is just with a one one v one winger behind so that. Mm-hmm when you strong side the other side, that left center back doesn't have to pass the ball 15 or 20 yards and break a line. So you're putting all the onus on your right center back to break that line. 
as opposed to, again, Benfica and Langley is a better example of this than PK because PK is, again, a better passer than Langley. But Langley only had to make 10 to 15 to 20 yard passes to Alba, to Gabi, to Frankie or Nico, and then to Busquets or back to one of the other center backs. So his right. passing range, which is that left center back passing range is so much more limited. But yeah, and then your point on Araujo, seven ball recoveries, won all five of his duels, five clearances, two interceptions, didn't commit a single foul. And other than the, the shot that went wide by Danjuma, Araujo was everywhere he needed to be. And exactly. so Barcelona have at least one defender, at least one very high quality passing, progressive passing center back. And then they also exactly. have the leadership of Gerard Piquet, which I actually think under Xavi, now that he has people to lead again, that being Piquet, mm-hmm. I, I think he's, he's found his role as a leader. And while he cannot physically do all of it, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's worked out. And then the final point I have about these center backs uh, before I throw it over to you is that Albert Roche, who he's very well trusted throughout the academy, uh, sports, uh, sport journalist, also reported that Diego Almeida, who I talked about before, he got called up to the Ecuadorian national team, which is huge for him at 17, plays with the Juvenil yeah. Oz. He noticed, that being Roge, that Almeida was playing the same position that Eric Garcia played for, for Juvenil A. And what mm-hmm. Almeida is, is a he's a little bit, I, I mean, he's still 17, he's still growing into his body, but he's maybe not going to be a Rajo, but he's going to be physically, I think, a bit more impressive, at least uh, mm-hmm. at this point, than Eric Garcia. But he is a right center back playing out wide basically as a right back this weekend for Juvenil A. So that's mm-hmm. another thing where I wonder, is this an entire system change? Is Xavi asking a certain thing of the profile of a right center back moving forward? And these are just structural things that, that you have to wonder. And then the one player I want you to talk about with this is the 20-year-old left-footed center back, Mika Marmol for Barca mm-hmm. B. He's a case where, is he really ready to t- take that job over from Langley, PK Garcia, or Umtiti? Because just like Easy Abde or Ilias, I could see, mm. just like you, I could see Marmol mm. getting a or getting some time over Langley in Umtiti or Garcia playing at left center back because Marmol might be the profile that Xavi is looking for for that position. Mm. He definitely is because Mika is very progressive and he's left footed. And that is kind of a commodity in world football now. It's just finding a left center, center back, left foot center back is, is just amazing. And I think that he has the the skill set to kind of fit into Xavi's system because he is he's very comfortable on the ball. He can run with the ball when he sees the space. He will exploit it. He will go for. He will dribble if he has to, and then he will deploy a pass that can break lines and kind of connect the thirds as well. So I think in that aspect, he is he is the perfect fit actually. So yeah, he is very young, so you can never know how that transition is going to go. Maybe he doesn't do as well, but I think that he has the potential to do well. And I would definitely trust him over Umtiti and Longley. I would just try it out and see how he goes because you don't have much to lose with such a player because the upside is just incredible. If he if it does work out, like Araujo, for example, you have, you've sold a major issue in a team that you haven't been able to fix for, for years now, I, I guess even. And... I would I would give him a shot because he is he's not the most physical one. He is pretty tall, I think, but but not as like not physically too strong. He's doing a decent duelist still, but but not as not at Alpha level. No, nowhere near that. But he can he can uh, match forwards with pace mostly. He is de- decently fast and excellent on the ball. So I would just say he is the perfect fit for that left center position. I've I've said this before, and now. I stand by it, and I think that Xavi is eventually going to kind of take the leap and, and just and just see if it works out. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that brings up 
I think the bigger question and really the reason why I want to bring you back on the show, because like some of the research you're doing and some of the thoughts that we'll say the pathway from Barca B or Juvenil A or the Academy in gen at large to the yep. first team was this place that under the likes of Sergio Roberto, and then we're skipping ahead. We're talking about Carlos Alenia. We're talking about Jared De La Feu. They're just, I, I think that conversation is well trod about players having difficulty getting to the first team. But now it seems like the dam has been broken completely open out of necessity for both financial reasons, as well as the talent itself deserving to be first team players for FC Barcelona in the likes of Gabi and Nico and Ansu. I mean, again, Eric Garcia is, yeah, La Masia raised, but he was brought back in as a transfer, yeah. but a free transfer. So that was, that made sense with that deal. Pedri again, brought from Las Palmas. So doesn't fall under that umbrella. just happens to be around the same age. Sujino Dest, you know, was brought in. Araujo even was brought in from Uruguay, not being a La Masia product, if you will. Um, so even though they are young, uh, uh, Oscar Mangaitha and uh, Kayato are two of the other ones that I'm, I'm missing on that list. But yeah, the question now we ask, when we think about easy Abde and now we're having this conversation about is Marmol what would be needed for the left center back spot. I do want to ask broadly, how many youngsters are too many youngsters? Because Xavi is showing, especially with Elias, a willingness where, I mean, I'd said, and people who watch him, I mean, uh, shouts to Naveed Mulligai who watched him for years as well, that he might be christened in the Academy as this, you know, the Moroccan Messi and all this, you know, things yes. to roll our eyes on. But I felt like he was a year or two away. It felt like he was a year or two away when you watch him with Hubenel Ah. He was making some appearances for Barca B. He got that brace, but he hasn't even been a regular for Barca B. So I'm playing with Hubenel Ahs even this season. So for him to make the jump to a first team, it's, mm-hmm. it is surprising to me because I think the club all felt like, okay, he'll be ready someday. But then yeah. you have so many other youngsters that we can talk about. Hunter Orellana, who's injured now and on and off for two years. Alvaro Sanz, both defensive midfielders, you know, with Busquets' age, why would those guys not get opportunities potentially? Chus Alba has that ability to push very high. So if Xavi's going to play two high interiors, Chus Alba, an 18-year-old, Ruben Al-Az, a good look. Arnaud Kosas, who's a right-footed center back, uh, 17 years old. I think put a pin in that one a few years on him. Mark Casada is another one. He's, what, 17, 18 years old around that age too. And then you have center forwards like Victor Barbera, who was just brought in to the Academy to Juvenal A from, I think it was Royce or maybe, oh, no, no, Dom. It was Estenas Pedrola who was brought in from, to, to from Royce. But anyway, then Fabian Luzzi, who was brought in from Raya Varcano. He's 17 as well. And then Anjo Alacan, who's been injured. I really like Alacan. I actually think he mm-hmm. would be in the first team dynamic on that left wing if he wasn't injured for this entire year. But yeah. it just feels like too many youngsters. You can't have that many young players in your squad. And if anything, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, I can let you, uh, you know, basically, I mean, you've written so much about all these different players, so you can dish mm-hmm. on whichever ones you want. But for me, actually, I would like to see more of, if I have to say one youngster, I, I'd stick my neck out for it's Alejandro Balde. Mm-hmm. I think Balde, who now came on as a substitute for Barca B of the weekend with Alba getting injured, that was the right moment for Balde. It's just wrong place mm-hmm. at the wrong time in this instance where he was on the bench and Alba was healthy. Alba gets the knock and Balde isn't there. He's playing with Barca B. But I think Balde is the exact player on that left wing to come in for Alba and not only that, but to start occasionally. And I think there's something that Xavi might think he's missing or he's just, you know, trusting Alba in this opportunity, right? That it's a new manager. Yeah. He wants Alba to be the one to be instructed with those instructions. But I, I think Balde by April or May, I could easily see him being fully, mm-hmm. fully in the first team and just coming off the bench a lot and making appearances, maybe even more so over desk, depending on the system and tactics that Xavi wants to employ. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would definitely put Balde ahead of Dest on the left side. Definitely. I wouldn't. I mean, Dest on the left side was decent at times, but I just don't see it 
long term, I just don't see it. It has to be on the right side. Um, as for Balde, just taking over Alba, yes, that, he was one of the youngsters that I really thought I was going to make it right now. The the situation was like primed for him with the Alba, with the injuries and all that stuff. But I just he just disappeared for some reason, and uh, I think I think his time will still come. He he can and he has the potential to do so. Um, it remains to be seen how well he can handle the the wing back role, sort of that that's Chavi's trying trying to do with the three four three system. We'll see how that goes. Is that going to play to his strengths or not? I'm not sure at the moment. We'll see. We'll have to scout that a bit more. Uh, just generally on youngsters, I think yes, I believe there always has to be a healthy mix of youth and experience. That's that's kind of a given. But at the same time, Barcelona is somewhat unique in this regard purely because of, of the academy, because using at academy players and using quote-unquote foreign players who you bought on the market is not nearly the same thing, especially in Barca's case. Uh, that's because Barcelona's philosophy and this kind of very specific style of play are completely ingrained across all youth levels, and that makes a difference because uh, when you promote from within, you are getting... A player who is, yes, of course, he doesn't have any real experience at the highest levels, like in La Liga, for example. But you're getting a player who is very comfortable with the style of play of the first team. So you are getting uh, a player who knows their role and knows how to perform them well, because that's, you know, that's what they've been doing for the whole, well, whole lives, whole careers, if they were, if they were in La Masia for a longer period of time than that is. So whether it's the, the Benjamin level, the Juanil level, Barca B, they all play the same style of football and that's the same style the, the first team wants to play. So I think that's a huge, uh, huge point towards having like more youngsters in the team. So what do you think the likes of Gavi and Nico can have kind of hit the ground running? Because they've, they have the experience of uh, already playing in the same system. So I would still prefer having, you know, a healthy mix of, of youth and experience, of course, you know, just for the biggest of occasions, you know, kind of the uh, decisive games, the Champions League nights and, you know, cup finals, whatnot. But generally speaking, I don't see it as such a big problem. But of course, there always, ha- always has to be a balance. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's what I would say. <laughs> Well, there's a downside, too, because Yusuf Demir started in what was Barcelona's, I mean, you could argue is going to go down in their most important match of the season against Benfica mm-hmm. and in that match. And Demir is a player that looks like, I mean, he looked, I thought he was bright in that game with the two attempts. He could have had a brace with four inches. I said that before in last week's show. But yeah, I, I think Demir is an example of a player that where there is too many youngsters. You just don't have enough mm-hmm. time to carve out for the guy that doesn't exactly fit. And so if you have Demir and you have Coutinho sitting there, and I know they play on the left wing and the right wing, so it's not the same. But if you have yeah. Coutinho and you have Demir, I think Xavi is like, okay, I'm going to trust, obviously, Coutinho in this instance, right? There's a reason why he, he is who he is, why he's such a problem in that he's too good of a player to be just a bench option or to be this guy on the peripheral of the, of the first team. Um, yeah, and so the last two points I, I kind of want to talk about, the last two gentlemen I want to talk about is back with the first team. So I don't know, do you have anything more on the youngsters? Because again, I, I threw out a lot of names out there at you. <laughs> it, I mean, I, I think Miko Marmol was the one that you and I both agree. Other than Balde and names you've already heard of, I think Marmol mm-hmm. would be the next one to potentially break in. However, again, at the left center back spot, I mean, he is technically behind Umtiti and behind Lenglet and yes. technically also behind PK and Eric Garcia. So I could very much see that not happening. 
but Hana Oriana, I think that would be the other name. And I also mentioned, I had said Anna Alakam, but unfortunately those two are injured. And I think if you get injured at the wrong time, which is when yes. a new manager like Xavi comes in, sometimes that can mean that you never get the look that you're expected to get. I think Xavi will do his due diligence, but once he's in season like this, it might be difficult for those two to prove themselves. And again, Angel might be out for quite some more time. And Hondro as well has just not been able to stay healthy. But those would be my two yeah. picks. But do you have anybody else? Uh, well, Yandro definitely. I was. I always believe that he, if he didn't get injured, he would have already been in the first team. I definitely because he has. He is like the perfect Busquets replacement. We, we've seen a lot of names throughout there as Busquets replacements. Uh, Nico being one of them, but he turned out to be a slightly different profile. But Yandro is kind of exactly that exactly the pivot that Barca would need although he has played as, as the interior as well I would also say that Marc Asado is one of that that I love a lot he I he is exactly the type of profile that you would want at that number six position as well at least in my in my mind so them too if we're talking about midfielders them too would definitely be my shout and then Mika well with Mika is difficult yeah you are right he is behind in the pecking order but at the same time I think that Longley and Antitia are at this point where you don't really trust them anymore. So might as well give it, give a shot to Mika. Well, we also don't know how January will, will change that as well. If no. someone does come calling for, I likely those calls aren't going to come from PT, but if somebody does call about Langley, because you could do for the rest of world football, you could do a lot worse than Langley. And it's funny too, because we keep saying Newcastle will be the, the ones that bail out Barcelona. But I, I think having watched their last game, they could use a left center back and actually use a left center back on the field, right? As much as we talk about Coutinho and, and all those other players that course, Castle yeah. would, would grab, but Langley is actually a player that would fit in. But speaking of Coutinho, I want to go back to him real quick. You could tell that winning that PK, I mean, questionable, <laughs> questionable in the 93rd minute, which is Coutinho kind of not, not saying not following instruction, but kind of doing his own thing. And he winds up getting fouled in the box and then mm-hmm. Memphis gives him the, the penalty kick and he converts it. Just because you, you see what that meant to him. His second goal of the season, his first one I've been coming months ago against uh, Valencia. So both goals against the Valencia community teams. But yeah. for Coutinho, yeah, I mean, where does he go from here? I mean, Xavi, Kuman, they've all said, oh, he's going to be an important part. But when you look at this system and I look at the tactics and I did this in the Xavi tactics video, the more and more I think about it, the more I just cannot understand where he's going to fit. Because even though Coutinho is talented enough to play, if he is not playing as a number 10, if there is not a system that's revolving around him, I just don't see how he fits in Xavi's 3-4-3 or even in the 4-3-3. It just doesn't make sense to me. No, I would agree with that, yes. I don't think that his position exists anymore, uh, especially in Xavi's system. He cannot really play as an interior because Xavi wants his interiors to kind of push forward, make those runs constantly. Uh, he can receive in the half space. He can create from the half space, but he cannot be that aggressive kind of runner that Xavi wants in the team. He cannot do that. So I don't think that that position is meant for him at all. And uh, there are players who can do it much better than he can. Then you could put him down the middle, but then the only position that's available down the middle would be a false nine type of thing. And I don't see him there either because he is, I don't know, he just needs the number 10 position, which was never there for him to begin with. Uh, and that's the whole issue with Coutinho. He cannot start as the right winger either because he's not a natural winger. And again, Xavi wants him to hold the width when Alba's deep. I don't, I don't know. I, I, at the moment, I don't see him getting, getting a, anything, anything bigger than just 
cameo appearances and in the last 10 or 15 minutes of games and trying to do something just with pure talent and skill, just something individually, which he can do. He is a very good player still in his day, but he is just a player who doesn't fit and that's it. Well, that's why I think against Espanyol and Villarreal, we saw that it wasn't about Coutinho coming on as much as it was that Barcelona, not to say they reverted back to their old ways, but there are a certain system that you have to play with Coutinho. Once he's on the field, it kind of changes the way mm. you're playing. Puj the same way, where it's it's risk, it's reward, where with Coutinho and Puj, they're coming on as high interiors and they do a certain job and that job can lead to goals. That's why Coutinho got his goal. And that's why Puj does so often in his limited time, the things, the actions he makes oftentimes leads to comebacks and goals and different things. But in the same way, those systems have to be built around them. And so that's why you're seeing Coutinho and Puj just aren't being utilized as 90 minute players because it's the risk of what happens about that space left in behind by Puj, about not only the space left in behind by Coutinho, but also losing width, as you just mentioned. Now, a player that system-wise, we've said left wing, center forward, as I've also mentioned too, it's not crazy to think that Memphis could ideally find himself, if Pedri winds up playing on the left wing and Anzu's in the middle and Dembele stays fit on the right, that Memphis could also finally get rotated. As I keep kind of arguing with people that, we yell about Busquets getting rotated finally, maybe potentially not having to play 90 minutes. Memphis has had to play 90 minutes every match. As long as Ansu is out, Memphis plays and is on the field as a number nine because Luke de Young, and Memphis tired is better than Luke de Young at all. Is, yeah. I mean, not only what Kukuman has decided, but clearly Xavi didn't ask for Luke de Young and Luke de Young is not going to no. play. Uh, so don't no. worry about that. But, you know, I saw that Memphis, there was an image of him hugging the post in the first half. And I was like, I saw that and I said, all the major outlets are definitely going to be using that as their JPEG. That's going to be the match report if this one ends 0-0. You know, but now they can use the celebration because he winds up scoring the goal. But I don't think we're understanding how much that Memphis is being asked to do up top. I mean, yeah, he's missing chances, but I just want to quickly throw a little Memphis defense in here that he has scored in his last four league matches. He has seven goals in 13 games. So he is still pretty much, when Ansu comes back, I expect that number to go up, actually, mm-hmm. even though Ansu will be scoring too. But, you know, seven goals in 13 games is on pace for a 20-plus goal season, which is what we were asking of Memphis, right? He came on a free transfer. How many goals did you want him to get? 20 to 24. And I did this whole thing in the beginning of the year where I counted. I mean, losing Messi is a lot of goals you lose. Losing Griezmann's goals, a lot of goals are used. So if Barcelona were going to score the, what was it, 84 goals or something or 88 goals that basically wins you a top three spot in the Liga, if they were going to score that many goals, I'm trying to do the math. You know what I mean? And Memphis had to get somewhere in the 20 to 24, 25 range. You needed Ansu to get somewhere between 18 and 25, and he is obviously injured and not been able to do that. You needed Dembele to get somewhere between 11 and 15. But because Memphis is the only one on the field, I think he's getting all the punishment, all the ire, and all the frustration that the goals just aren't pouring in. But again, seven goals in 13 games in the Liga is is just fine, and it seems like he's on pace. He is, he definitely is. And I think that... Barcelona fans can be, we can be a bit too premature with our criticism. And one one day a a player is a hero. The next day he is like the scapegoat. And that happens to everyone, Memphis included. Uh, And I feel like he does so many things well. He can, he's so versatile, maybe a bit too much for his own good. Uh, He can hold up play. He can be a runner. He can, he can dribble. He can, he can pass. There's so many things that he can do well, and he does well. He creates overloads. He understands his role, which is which is very important here as well. And I think that, I mean, as long as he can kind of sustain this, 
he he is a good transfer. He is someone that will that will kind of yes, he's a free transfer, so he can or he doesn't have to pay off his transfer fee, but he'll he'll be worth it. He'll be worth it if he can continue doing what he's doing right now. Of course, he can he can hog the ball a bit too much at times. We know that he can make a couple of touches too much too many. That's that's also true. But at the same time, he is the one who is basically providing the final product. He is the one who's doing so many good things that kind of seem to be forgotten so many times and the people seem to sweep them under the rug kind of and they they like to focus on the negatives because that's what gets you i don't know just interactions and and, and uh your tweets blow up when you when you criticize players i guess but overall i feel like he is doing a very good job uh considering that he's a free transfer considering that he has to play as much as he has to play and the Barca don't really have a better option at the moment. That's also a big thing. Until Ansu's back, he he's the main man, and uh, so far he's not doing a bad a bad job. I would say. No, I mean again, he's being asked to do a lot. He's being asked to hold up. He's being asked to drop deep in this new system. The tactics are changing around him again, uh, and you know all his basically his job is to put the ball in the back of the net. But he, yeah, yeah, there are a lot of misses he has. But the bright side is the Barca are creating chances. And when there is more space for him to actually get those shots off, when, again, the likes of Dembele are pulling the extra defender, the, you know, we're talking about the margins. We're talking about two, three feet or two, three meters that defenders mm-hmm. are getting pulled over. That, that gives such a larger shooting lane for Memphis. And the same thing when Ansu comes back. He just, the gravity of Ansu attracts so many players to him. Memphis will start to finish because he'll have a little bit more room. He'll just have that extra little bit that he needs to convert on these chances. So Domogoy, uh, as we're wrapping this show up, um, anything else more from you? I mean, I'm going to give you, again, a moment to plug some of your stuff right now. You're working a lot of different stuff on Twitter and your articles. And I know that there's a Substack as well with your name on it. So I'll give you a chance for that. But before that, do you have anything else? Because I know between tactics and La Masia, I want to make sure I, I use your time well. I think we've covered most of it. I mean, if you, if you have any more questions, I'm happy to answer them. I think that's pretty much it for me. <laughs> yeah, so my last question is, where can people find you again? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at DeKostanchuk. That's that's my uh, Twitter handle. That's uh, in the I'm show also... notes, so everyone just head on down, click on his name in the show notes, and we'll have you there. Exactly. And uh, I, yeah, I've started a new Substack. It's Barca Football. I do analysis, player reports, and just, you know, just my rambling if, if you want to read that feel free to to visit us and subscribe it's completely free so uh not not costing anything just now and i do a lot of Twitter threads as you mentioned if you if you're interested in lamasia players i that's kind of my new thing i want to i want to profile as many lamasia players as i can and uh so far i've done about 10 of them i think something like that so going pretty well if you're interested in that just you know check it out <laughs> All right, so Domagoy, again, future superstar in the making, especially in the Barca community. I think you're already a star there, but uh, that'll wrap it up for another edition of the show. Again, follow him on Twitter. You can also follow us on Instagram and, and Twitter at the Barcelona Pod at Hoping D13 for me. Close Facebook group, the Barcelona Podcast. Patreon is how we keep making these shows. Always, always appreciate with the new patrons. You can also listen to these shows without the ads over there. So a little incentive to support the show financially. And we're on YouTube with those match reviews. Now that the international breaks are over, those are coming out uh, well. And I really appreciate all the new people we've met on YouTube there. So the match reviews and some other special stuff going on at the Barcelona Podcast. So thanks so much for listening to the show, though. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, the Barca. 